Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Christmas Liquid Church. How you guys doing? All right. Good to see you guys. You know it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. We went, uh, my family, to get a tree yesterday. It's not Christmas in New Jersey until you overpay for a Home Depot Christmas tree, uh, which we did. Um, it's actually, uh, you can see it all over, you know, the decorating going on, the sales, you know, all over the place. Last week, my family, I also watched the tree lighting at Rockefeller Center. Did anybody see this? Uh, kind of a tradition with, you know, kind of very cheery and festive, you know, twinkle lights, you know, the, the angels, you know, blowing their trumpets. And of course, Justin Bieber with Busta Rhymes singing Little Drummer Boy. That's how it's, it's not Christmas until Busta Rhymes comes out. Uh, but a tree like it was spectacular, actually. I always kind of like enjoy this moment. That's kind of the kickoff. And um, uh, I don't know how many of you do Christmas cards or any of you actually send Christmas cards. Um, we, you will never get one from me. We do not do that at my house just because it gets kind of crazy because in a few days those cards start arriving in the mail. And, you know, I open them up, all the red envelopes, and they say things like, you know, peace on earth, goodwill to men, you know, love, joy, happiness. And, and that's great, I guess, you know, kind of celebrating the season with these very homey sentiments. And the, and the reality is, I think we assume, so this is Christmas. You know, it's about being, you know, somewhere festive or warm and cozy, presumably with people you love and they maybe love you. Uh, <laughs> you know, ribbon and, and tinsel and gifts under the tree and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is, the Bible's account of the first Christmas is very different than the sanitized version that we typically celebrate in the West. 
The, the gospel account, candidly, is more, um, what's the word, uh, messy. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. I want to show you this. Take your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. This is very easy for you to find in your Bible. Not only is it on page 669, this is the dividing line, Old Testament, New Testament, the first page of the New Testament. Okay, so, so you got the old one, then you got the new and improved version. <laughs> Not really. But Matthew 1 here, verse 18 says this. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, though, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And I'll just stop there because sometimes we gloss over the reality that the greatest miracle on which the Christian faith hinges begins with a teen mom. (laughs) Isn't that a wonderful homie sentiment at Christmas? Oh, a pregnant teen, you know? Mary was likely 14, maybe 15 years old. She's engaged to a local dude named Joe. She'd never been with a man. But one day an angel appears. Surprise, you're preggers. How how do you think Mary reacted? Honestly, okay, if you were 15 and you learned you were pregnant, what would you do? You'd you'd probably run to CVS and pick up one of these. Sorry. Little home pregnancy test, right? This can't be right. This is impossible. I know it's awkward, isn't it? You're like, I can't believe he's talking about this. That's how the Christmas story begins, the birth of Christianity. See, traditional Christmas art candidly kind of features Mary, you know, calm and serene, receiving news of the Annunciation, you know, calmly and serene. But that's not how the Bible tells the story. Luke actually describes her as greatly troubled and afraid, which is basically Bible code for freaking out, okay? That's what a teen girl does when she suddenly discovers she's pregnant. I mean, imagine her telling Joseph. Joseph is probably 15 or 16 at the time. It's doubtful he, he you know, was able to contain his emotion. You're, what, what? How could you? I thought we had something here. What is this? Then imagine Mary kind of explaining, no, 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 you don't understand. It's God. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, right? And all of a sudden, they're on the Jerry Springer show. This is crazy, right? I mean, okay, next up, a teen mom with a divine claim. Now, you claim you're a virgin. How do we know you're telling the truth? Well, an angel told me. Okay, hearing voices next. Uh, You know, see a psychiatrist. The truth is, at the first Christmas, there was probably quite a bit of family drama. That's the truth. There's no way to say it. Can anyone relate to family drama at Christmas? Okay. Um, I realize an unplanned pregnancy isn't news like in the modern world, but in Mary's culture, problems This is a tight-knit Jewish community in the first century. And the law said there were two options for a girl in Mary's condition. Either divorce her or stone her. That's literally what the law prescribed. This was serious business. This was a huge social scandal. It would have brought enormous shame, candidly, to the families. And it's a social stigma that we can't even quite imagine. A few years ago, I I remember um, I got an email from a 17-year-old girl who said, I'm thinking about visiting Liquid, and uh, she goes, I just want to meet you personally to find out if I'm welcome. And I'm like, hey, everybody's welcome. She goes, no, I just need permission from you as the pastor to come. And I was like, that's kind of odd. And I remember, I said, well, let me meet you at, at uh, you know, in the lobby of the hotel. And I, I remember her coming in the stairs with one of those car seats, 17 years old, and her hand, eyes were down. She wouldn't even look in the eye. And she explained she, she was pregnant, and she had just given birth. And she actually had to drop out of high school um, and her parents were very religious. Those were her words. And they said, so they took me out of church for the last 18 months. 
because we didn't want to answer any awkward questions. And I'd feel cut off from God, and now I've got this baby. I have a brand new family and, 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 and a beautiful boy. She's like, am I welcome here? Could I come here? And I was like, you are more than welcome here. There's enough room in God's family for actually messy family situations. And candidly, that's where we lean into God even more when there's crisis in your life. And you know why? Because that's how God's story begins. God sends his son into this world not to condemn it, but to save it. Jesus enters this broken, disordered mess of humanity where things don't go as planned. There's family drama. There's shame. And you know what? There's also the threat of divorce. Oh, yeah. We got everything in this family. If you take a look at verse 19, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was a good guy, he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to what? Divorce her quietly. See, Joe's a stand-up guy. He loved Mary, and he didn't want to, you know, embarrass her, so he figured, I'm going to, let's keep this quiet. Until, and he's going to you know, basically divorce her, which would have kind of just meant she's an outcast the rest of her life. But then he has a dream. He has a dream of his own. And it says this in verse 20. Let's finish the passage together. It says, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, what? Let's read it together. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will what? save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means, big loud voice, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So this is Christmas. A teen mom, unplanned preggers, family drama, threat of divorce, shotgun wedding. And in the middle of this mess, God at work, planning his greatest miracle of all time. I want you to think, what does it say about God? That God the Father intentionally chose the most humiliating kind of messy circumstances in which to bring his son to our world. What does that say about God? What's it say about his heart for us? Let's be honest. This is not typically how we envision Christmas, is it? Our version is like totally mellow and domesticated. We prefer Michael Buble singing joy to the world kind of thing. But the truth is, when we read the gospel accounts of the first Christmas, literally the fate of the world, is resting on the faithful response of two nervous teens who must have been quaking in their boots. I mean, how many times did Joseph second guess his encounter with an angel? Was that a, is that a dream? Am I going crazy? Is she, is, she, is she playing me? What is this? Imagine him telling his parents, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, here's, here's a situation, okay? It was the Holy Spirit, I swear. No fooling around. You just kind of <laughs> imagine this. It's no wonder they got out of town. That's what happened, you know? They left, they left home. I mean, conveniently... The government was trying to raise taxes, <laughs> so they have to actually travel to Bethlehem to fill out paperwork. Some things never change. So they leave home, and they actually are homeless at the time of Jesus' birth. They are out of their home. They are on the run. There's no hospital, and they basically have to pull over because there's no medical clinic. There's no hotel, and she has to give birth to God's son in a rest stop. A cave, a barn where they fed animals and into the steaming dung. This is where the high prince of heaven is born. It was a crisis delivery. Have you ever had a, a crisis in your family? 
where it seemed like, where's God? Who it's going to provide next? They didn't take Lamaze, okay? <laughs> they never had a chance to register at Babies R Us. There's no midwives. There's just cows. Chewing their straw. I mean, it doesn't get more humiliating or humbling than this. So we can sanitize the conditions of Jesus' birth all we want. We do it not just in our cards, but in our carols. Silent night. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Isn't that just like a newborn? Totally quiet and pristine. But there's no way around it. The reality is the first Christmas is a mess. It's a hot mess. <laughs> and the crowning moment comes when King Herod actually gets word that a new king was prophesied to be born. Herod was so threatened, he was a dictator at the time, that his throne might, might be stolen, that he took no chance, and he actually put out a law that all baby boys two years old or younger must be terminated. So let's just add murder. How's that for a warm family Christmas? Crisis pregnancy, family drama, divorce, homeless, murder. This, so this is Christmas indeed. These are the circumstances under which God the Father voluntarily chose, he ordained to send his son to our world. Smack dab in the middle of our mess. Christmas is the miracle in the mess. That's what Emmanuel really means. They said, they'll call him Emmanuel, which means, what's Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. God in the middle of our mess. My mess, your mess. I mean, can you, let's be honest, show of hands, can you relate to any of these, okay? Any here, one here with family drama this fall, okay? Maybe, 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 you've, maybe you've had a relationship, hit the skids, okay? It's falling apart. Or something happened in your life that you didn't choose. You wouldn't have dreamed this would happen to you in a million years. There's a crisis all of a sudden, in your, and you don't, or you don't have a home or a job or whatever it is, and you wonder, can God relate? Guys, Christmas is the miracle in the mess, guys. And it literally settles the question of, of God's heart for you once and for all. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through, God came to be with you. He is here, he, he sees, and he cares. That's exactly why he sent Jesus to be with us, to save us from our sins, which is simply the, our, our, our independence. We're out on our own, selfish. We don't need him, the wrong choices we've made. But you know what? Also to save us from the sins committed against us when actually being in a broken world crushes you and you maybe you've been hurt by someone who sinned against you. But when things happen simply as a result of living in a broken world, that's God's heart to enter the mess so he can perform a miracle in our lives. I mean, just contrast Jesus' arrival with how rulers in our world, you know, think of like presidents or like kings and queens, how they announce their entrance on the world stage. Queen Elizabeth II actually visited America last year. Do you guys remember this? And the media was just like awestruck when she touched down in JFK in the royal, you know, fighter jet from, you know, her royal majesty's service. Um, she had over 4,000 pounds of luggage with her, okay? The queen mother carries two outfits for every occasion in case one gets stained. You can see her kind of her crown here. And her entourage, catch this, carries 40 pints of plasma wherever she goes in case there's an emergency. God, I'll have the royal blue blood in there. The best part is they were showing her kind of entourage breakdown in Time Magazine. There's one guy, this is amazing, his only job is to carry around um, calfskin toilet seat covers. Literally. Out of hundreds of sermons, she basically has one guy who is all about caring for the royal keister. That's a, that's a translation. Literally, wherever she sits, it's just so, you know, it's calfskin, virgin calf. 
And her week-long visit to the States cost $20 million. Six days, $20 million. That's how royalty announces itself on the world, in our world. You announce your rival in luxury and comfort with all the trappings of power and prestige. Not so with Jesus. He came to be with us. And his very humble birth demonstrates how low God will go to meet us in our mess. I'm reading a book right now that's kind of opening my eyes afresh to this this Christmas. It's called Beautiful Outlaw by John Eldridge. I can highly recommend it to you. Really good. And in it, Eldridge, uh, he just writes of the stunning humility it took for God's son to incarnate or put skin on and become one of us, to be with us. Listen to how Eldridge explains it. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient. Humbled himself? Humility hardly begins to describe the incarnation. That's like saying it would be a humble thing for you to become a goldfish, to live in the bowl in a fishy world, trying to help all those other fishies become something more like phoenixes. It boggles the mind. Okay, the eternal Son of God had to learn to walk the Word of God had to learn how to talk. He who calls the stars by name had to learn the names of everything just like you. Jesus, this is a cup. Can you say cup? Cup. The Son of God doesn't even know how to tie his shoes. Someone had to teach him how to tie those sandals. John the Baptist said none of us were worthy to untie. The rabbit goes around the tree and down through the hole, like that. Now you try it. Picture seven-year-old Jesus in the shop out back, learning from Joseph how to use a hammer and saw. He who hung galaxies in such perfect poise, like a hundred billion mobiles, has to learn how to nail two boards together? I take my shoes off. The humility of this is beyond words. This is the incarnation, folks, okay? God choosing voluntarily to empty himself of his divine powers and rights to come be with us, with you, in your mess. A miracle literally in the mess. That's, that, to me, is the miracle of Christianity. You understand this. Every other world religion has at its center a God you have to climb up to reach. If you're Buddhist, you gotta, you got to climb an eightfold path, okay? Muslims have the five pillars of Islam that they have, to, they have to follow to keep in the good graces of Allah. Only Christianity dares make the claim that God comes down to our level in the form of a helpless human baby. No God has ever walked such a humble path. And Jesus' first step was a staggering descent into poverty, candidly, straw poverty. And he bore all the shame and the humiliation and the scorn of an illegitimate kid at his birth in Bethlehem. And it was the exact kind of shame and scorn at his death on the cross. That's the grand entrance of the king of heaven. Indeed? Really? What's God saying to us? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
What is the message of this mess? Look, look at these words from Philippians 2. Paul writes, he says, do nothing then from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, what's the word? Humility. Regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you not to, look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be, what? Exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness. In other words, the king came not to conquer us with power, but to serve us in love. That's, that's the miracle in the mess, that the omnipotent creator of the universe, he empties himself and takes the form of a slave and humbly serves. Why? Philippians sums this up. This is beautiful. It says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, his birth had his death in mind. He was born to die for one reason, in your place as a substitute, as a sacrifice for your sins so you could be restored to the family of God. No matter what your birth family looks like, that may be the mess, but you have a place in the family of God because of Jesus' incredibly humble sacrifice. And Scripture says then, once you join that family, it says, let the same mind be in you that was in him. Let me ask you, point blank. Is this your mindset at Christmas? Is, is this your perspective as you look at the people in your life? That when you see people in crisis who are hurting, who are needy, that you actually slow down, take the time to get on their level, roll up your sleeves and enter their world to show them Christ's love because that's what Christ Mass is about. That's actually what Jesus did. We call it the incarnation. Even you can see in that word, that the, the middle of the incarnation is the word carne. You know what that means in Spanish? Meat. Think chili con carne, chili with meat, okay? Jesus is God con carne, okay? He's God with skin on. It's God putting skin in the game to show us his love. And that's the life you and I are called to. It's about being incarnational ministers. We're supposed to incarnate Christ to people in our lives, our families, our friends, our coworkers. Be God with skin on. They see Jesus. So when you see, I want you to think right now, messiest situation in your life. Okay, maybe it's at work, maybe it is in your family, maybe it is you've got a serious crisis or issue. When we come to messy situations, the, the question is, do you do this? Step over it. Or do you step, as Jesus did, directly into it to demonstrate the Father's care? Because it's especially when people's stories are messy. That's when the miracle takes place. I mean, think right now. Are there people in your world, your school your neighbors, your work, who are facing a messy situation. Maybe they're going through a crisis, they're, they're struggling. Maybe life has hit them with some difficult news this fall or there's some circumstances here at Christmas where they actually need help. Think about the people in your life who need that incarnational presence in the middle of their mess. Just this week, um, Colleen and I learned of this young family. We had just met them in town a couple weeks ago. Um, they were expecting their second child. We kind of hit it off. And again, but again, just kind of know them you know, as acquaintances. And on Tuesday, um, we found out the woman went into premature labor. And then two hours later, we got an email that her baby had died. Just, you know, utter shock. It was just like, Mike, you're used to, we just met them. What? They were decorating all that stuff. And um, we saw them the previous Saturday, and our friends were just like, they're just completely numb. We, were, we went to the hospital, just unimaginable heartache and, and loss. And um, 
They didn't know them that well, and they were like, you know, you're a pastor. Can you pray for them, you know, and I, for, you know, me? I'm like, yeah, how about right now I pray for them, you know? And there was this moment where, like, we don't know them that well. Should we do it? And we actually stepped into the mess and called and said, I know we just met, but I don't, don't want to, only if this is a help. But is, would it help if we came over just to pray with you? You, know, you probably just have grieving family, and I just, we don't have anything really to say, but just to be there. They were, they were, they were stunned. They were absolutely stunned. They were like, I, thank, yeah, yeah, thank you. We don't. They were so numb, but they were so grateful that somebody would actually minister the presence of Christ to them. And we said, we had nothing to say. We just sat with them mainly. But the only words of comfort were, you know what? Only God knows what it's like to lose a child. He can relate. He can sympathize. Another couple approached us recently um, in church with some relationship trouble. Their marriage is on, you know, rocky ground. Seems not a week goes by, candidly, without, without someone we know, p- good people, who, who are having a hard time, you know, just keeping their marriage afloat. And it was amazing. My wife, um, Colleen's amazing. But she just completely, she rearranged her schedule so she could go meet with the wife for coffee. That, I was like, hun, do you realize the significance of that? She's like, yeah, we're going to Starbucks. I'm like, no! <laughs> That's incarnational ministry! She's like, oh, I'm just going there to listen, you know, and just, you know, offer any words of encouragement. I was like, that's the whole point, because there are no easy answers. That's not how life works. But, but my wife made this sacrifice to meet her friend in the middle of her mess, and now we're asking God for a miracle, that actually they're, they're for the birth of a new chapter in their relationship. At Christmas, guys, I know you are crazy busy. You are probably slammed. But there are opportunities all around us to incarnate Jesus to show the love of God in a hands-on way to people who are in need. But guess this, it requires sacrifice. It actually requires that each of us lay, you know, put aside your agenda. Oh, I know, all the shopping, all the parties and sports, to actually slow down, see the need, and take the time to enter their mess, to become vulnerable, to allow yourself to come alongside someone who's in pain or in angst and administer Christ's love to them. And the question is, well, why would you do that? Because that's the essence of Christmas. <laughs> That's the whole point. It's the incarnation. Jesus enters our mess to do a miracle, to bring salvation. And he's living proof that God not only sees people in their pain, but he responds with compassion. If it's sin, he offers forgiveness and restoration. If it's help that's needed, it's being Christ's hands and feet to comfort and serve. That's love. It's a dirty cradle and it's a bloody cross. It's a mess. But that's the miracle. That Jesus would hang on a tree 33 years later to make a way home for you into God's family. I think a perfect illustration of incarnational ministry are the incredible uh, outreaches some of you have been doing and be part of this fall. Operation Christmas Angel is the essence. Just incredible, awesome, awesome job. Um, just stopping to, to, to lavish God's love on families in need. Children who are, you know, born in poverty, we know they're closest to God's heart. When we say God has a preference for the poor, it's not that he uh, loves them more, but it's like a father who loves all his children but one is getting picked on at school and he has a special sensitivity towards them. That's the father's heart towards people who are, who are living in subsistence. And so we enter their world to serve and bless our brothers and sisters in his name. That's incarnational ministry. I think of the outreaches uh, in, in the fall to Manville, Patterson, Market Street Mission in Morristown. Each of those were about being incarnational. When, when Hurricane Irene hit New Jersey, you talk about a mess, okay? But the whole point is a church that's on mission with Jesus Christ Hundreds of you actually fanned out. You helped clean out homes, pump out basements, put up drywall, taking what's broken and ruined 
and restoring it to something new. You were the literal hands and feet of Jesus Christ and entered the mess. And here's the deal. Your impact was transformational. I want you to take a look at the miracle. our volunteers just amazing guys you guys made a huge massive difference that's incarnational ministry guys it's seeing a people in crisis and in need and actually saying you know what i'm going to follow jesus into the mess so god can perform a miracle that's what christmas is about it's about transformation no one knows that better than matt and bethany seitzma uh, from our new brunswick campus their adorable baby daughter eden what a delight um, and they are part of our New Brunswick campus. You might remember their, their home. Can we just, Matt, this is where you guys have lived for how many years? Uh, we've lived here for about five years. Lived there for about five years, but when Hurricane Irene hit, it was about four feet of water, if you can remember, in the first floor? First floor, so it was uh, above the kitchen countertops. It was incredible. Manville um, was absolutely decimated, several city blocks, correct? Uh, yeah, there's probably about 200 homes uh, in our area that were uh, affected in some way, some with water in the basement, uh, but most with uh, some water on the first floor. Uh, the most being uh, probably in our direct area with about uh, four to five feet on the first floor of the houses. It was a literal mess. It was like a bomb went off. And um, I remember it was fascinating because when we first – did this original uh, video with you, it was some of our life groups kind of saw the need, came to volunteer and help. And you were like, you were wondering, is this the kind of church where we just do wells in Africa but actually don't help on a local level? But tell us a little bit of what happened. There was some miracle. Uh, yeah, there was a, uh, multiple uh, steps in the process that pretty much transformed not only Bethany and I, uh, but also our neighborhood um, as a whole. Um, uh, after I saw the uh, devastation that happened to our house, my first call was to Bethany because uh, she was actually living with her folks at the time. Mm -hmm. And the next step was to uh, Pastor Mike, uh, the, our pastor in New Brunswick. And I said, we need some troops. I need help. You know what I mean? Like, I can't do this on my own. Um, and the next thing I know, there was uh, 10 men the first, uh, th the next day at my house, uh, tearing apart uh, our house and uh, trying to get it gutted uh, as, as soon as possible. The miracle is that that kind of grace leaked out into your neighborhood. Tell us a little bit about your neighbors, because there were several even 
blocks of, of homes that needed help and everything. Tell us what happened. Uh, well, so the, so the next thing is where it's actually twofold again was the church said, how come we didn't get invited to help out? Like, this is something that we want to do. This is, you know, we want to put our hands and feet uh, to your neighborhood. Um, so the next thing we know, uh, it was Labor Day weekend. There was about five families and about 20 kids who show up to uh, to help out and one of the, uh, so all these like kids start piling out of minivans and SUVs and I'm just like more of a mess yeah I'm like <laughs> we, I'm like we can't have this I'm like there's construction there's nails I'm like but they uh, were one of the bigger impacts um, that day there's people like peeking out their windows being like what's right. all these kids going on but they were going to people's houses mowing their lawns uh, feeding them food and trying to drag them in and say this is this is what the church is trying to do yeah. Bethany, tell us, first off, how old was Eden at the time when this was happening? I thought happening? she was three weeks old. She is adorable. Look at this, look at this little girl. <laughs> and, um, and just kind of, you know, as a mom, I saw you there carrying Eden, and you're trying to clean up all the mess and everything. What was the impact you saw on your neighbors and, and everybody who lived there? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, initially, being a new mother um, and not really being able to be there to help physically, um, since I was taking care of her, the comfort that I personally felt knowing that the church was there to help Matthew meant really the world to me. Um, and then when they saw, our neighbors saw all the help we were getting, they asked, like, who are these people? What's going on? And when we told them this was our church, uh, there was definitely an interest in, hey, do you think they could help us out? And we said, absolutely. Yeah. And the, that work day that we had where we were able to go to all of these different people's homes um, and really make a difference, not just in their homes, but we had the block party for the children. Um, I can't tell you how many people came up to me afterwards, literally with tears in their eyes, thanking not just me, but our entire church for being able to be there for them, to help them, to give them a little bit of joy yeah. in kind of the tragedy that was going on, some yeah. comfort, yeah. Um, and it definitely meant the world to them. It's amazing. Incarnation is about transformation. It's about seeing something ruined and restoring it in the name of Christ. You guys, your renovation is close to the finish line. I think we have a before and after uh, pictures here. This is kind of, this was your, what was this? What are we uh, looking at? This is our dining room. Dining room before uh, and? Uh, this is our current dining room thanks to uh, our life group. Uh, we have some very handy people, uh, painters and uh, tr uh, finished trim carpenters. So uh, we've been able to help us, uh, help them out um, and give them work uh, right now with, you know, everything that's been going on. So it, uh, everyone helps everybody out. This is, this, I was just noticing, you got like crown molding here. My wife's going to be jealous. It's nice. That's it's impressive. Nice. Can we hear from Matt and Bethany and thank them for the uh, privilege of serving, guys? Thank you, guys. Thank you very, very much. That's awesome. Just amazing. That's incarnational ministry, guys. It's seeing people who are in need in crisis and saying, you know what? I'm going to follow Christ into that. And it's an amazing example of uh, that's what we're about as a church. Incarnation is about transformation. In Morristown at Market Street Mission, I don't know if we, I think we have a before picture of that. If you remember, we're renovating the. Uh, uh, the shelter there for uh, guys who are in drug and alcohol recovery. That's before where they were living. Here's after Liquid Volunteers invested their time. Can we hear it for that? That's unbelievable, okay? That's the power of incarnation, guys. That's I, what I'm hoping is this is going to get your wheels turning to the needs all around you. Can you think of someone in your life or neighborhood that you're in a position this Christmas to incarnate Christ to? Because the truth is Christmas isn't 2,000 years ago, okay, or like once a year. The whole point is God makes that invitation today that anybody can have a fresh start by trusting in Christ. But once you receive the gift of salvation, your life is supposed to become a gift. Paul says, let the same mind, let this be your perspective and your posture in life. The way Christ Jesus, in other words, who are the people in your life that God's saying, I want you to sacrifice to serve them? Is there a neighbor? Is there a local family in need? Is it someone at work, okay? 
Don't always wait for, you know, the church to kind of activate that. It's about taking the time to be Christ and making the time. Maybe it's just coffee, you know, with a friend in crisis. Maybe it's sharing a meal. Just take the time to pray with them or meet a need in a very practical way, painting, okay? That kind of incarnational ministry, that faith is so powerful, guys, especially for kids. You know why? Because your kids, if you're, if you're in a you know, family way, you've got kids, they get to see what faith is. It's not just you telling them, they get to see it. And it is a powerful contrast to the consumerism that they see on television, all the ads and all the malls, and they, they finally learn that, you know what? Oh, Christmas is just about me, 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 getting. It's actually about giving. It's about giving your time. It's about giving your treasure. Incarnation is expensive. I want you to think of what it costs God, okay, to give you his son. That's what our salvation was. From a financial perspective, you know, it's incredible to be able to invest $45,000 as a church in toys and give those out to the parents of those 100 families who are, who are below the poverty line. The reason we're able to do that and impact those families is because of your generosity. Incarnational ministry is expensive. It costs a lot to be Jesus to people who are in need. I mean, think about what it costs Christ to come be with us. That's candidly why we do a Christmas offering in December. That's why we do this, to offset the cost of these outreaches. We put that brochure in your program today. We put it in every week in December. And candidly, what we're hoping is to raise $300,000 by December 31st. Do you know why? Do you know what this goes to? It goes to underwrite Operation Christmas Angel, to be incarnational, to serve our Spanish neighbors in 2012. It's about bringing a cup of clean water to villages in Haiti and El Salvador and the third world. It's being incarnational locally and globally. So just understand that. You know, let, that let that be the posture of your heart as you give at year's end, okay? Because this is what makes the miracle possible. When we put our muscle, when we put our money into the mess, that's when the miracle happens. So give generously, okay, guys? Give out of what God has given you. Don't give out of guilt. Don't give out of shame. Give, don't give out of obligation. God doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. He wants your heart to be postured the way his heart was when he gave away everything to send his son, okay? So let this be. Our, it's our invitation to actually not just say, Emmanuel, God with you, once a year at Christmas. But saying, Emmanuel, God is with you. 365 days, and we're going to be here for you. I'll be honest. I um, can't a moment as a pastor. I struggle sometimes at Christmas to see the story with fresh eyes. I've, 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 you know, you've, I grew up in the church. I've heard hundreds of Christmas sermons. And sometimes, candidly, the songs can seem trite and, and candidly. That's why I love to step out of my world into the world of others to serve them and experience that miracle in the mess in a fresh, firsthand way. And I suspect I'm not alone in that need today. I came across a, uh, a fascinating article about Bono, a lead singer for U2. And apparently Bono had returned home to, uh, to, on Christmas Eve to Dublin, and he was tired from touring. And he, and he was like, I need to see Christmas with fresh eyes. So he actually went to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And the priest didn't know who he was, so he gave him a really bad seat. <laughs> went behind one of the pillars in the cathedral. And Bono said, I was drifting off. He struggled to keep his eyes open. He said, but there was this moment that the miracle of the incarnation just kind of struck his heart like never before. And as Bono reflected on the incarnation, he wrote, this idea that, that God, if there is a force of logic and love in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. That it would seek to explain itself and describe itself by becoming a child born in straw poverty and crap and straw, a child. I just thought, 
just the poetry, unknowable love, unknowable power, describes itself as the most vulnerable. And there it was. I was sitting there. And it's not that it hadn't struck me before, but tears came streaming down my face, and I saw the genius of this, the utter genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn human history on this. I love that. The logic and love of a personal God revealing himself in the humblest of ways as a child born into the mess of squirming humanity. God doesn't come to conquer, but to serve. Not to condemn, but to love. And then actually, imagine this, he dies so that we can live and then we have a heart that is filled with his spirit. And then he says, I want you to join me in the process of restoring this broken world. That is genius. So just understand this. No matter what kind of crisis you are facing this Christmas, whether it's, you know, family drama, relationship on, on the skids, maybe you don't have a, a job, social, economic issues, this is the invitation to hit the pause button and just worship the Christ child, okay? Make Jesus your Lord. That's the poetry. That's the genius of Christ Mass. Do you see that? The question is, will you live it? So this is Christmas. I hope you will step into the mess. It's where God does his most miraculous work. I want us to commit ourselves as a church to not just believing that, but actually joining Jesus in what he's calling us to do. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Jesus. We're humbled. We're humbled by your humility. Father, that this is how you, you could have revealed yourself with power, with strength, but to choose a helpless child born in humiliating circumstances, the most vulnerable God, that is genius. And Father, that, is, that, that makes us bow in worship. Father, I ask that your son would be born anew in this community. Let it be this Christmas, Father, that we actually see, see more miracles. Not just Matt and Bethany, Father, but instances popping up virally all over our community of you, your son, living your life out through us. Father, that's the spirit of Christmas. Would you reignite it in our hearts? We ask that in the name of Christ, our Savior and Lord. All God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.